Hi there, it's Lucia, host of the Witch Money podcast here. Before we start today's episode, I just wanted to tell you about a really handy new tool from us here at Witch, and even better, it's free. It's called My Money Health Check. All you need to do is answer a few quick questions about your finances, and then we'll do the rest, pointing you towards our brilliant witch advice that we think you'll find really useful. Once again, that's My Money Health Checks. If you want help with cutting your bills or making your money go further, it's the place for you. Just head to witch.co.uk forward slash My Money Health Check. Welcome to the Witch Money Podcast, your weekly hit of money news and personal finance hacks to help make you better off. I'm your host, Lucia Ariano, and here's what's coming up this week. They've bought their own places, but now find there's a problem they could not have conceived of that's having huge penalties for them. This affects the poorest of families who simply don't have the, the money even to pay the bills. It affects some of the richest flats in the country, people who are prosperous lawyers, but, but cannot afford to go bankrupt when a bill of £200,000 arrives suddenly with a demand to pay it immediately. I don't think I'll ever really be the same again. I'll never trust anything or anybody ever again, any contracts. It's just really, not the money is one thing, but mentally, just lack of trust and lack of anyone doing the right thing has really got to me. I can't really say that I hope that the government will make a difference but I'm here demanding change, demanding action, because so far it simply hasn't been good enough. Just last week, leaseholders from across the country protested outside Parliament against the cladding scandal. And in this episode, we'll be covering the march and catching up on the latest developments. Now, nine months ago, we brought you an episode on the cladding scandal, and we've linked to that episode in the show's description this week if you haven't already heard it. But first, just a quick refresher. Now, it all started after the Grenfell fire. A wave of inspections found that building safety issues were rife in blocks of flats across the country. And hundreds, even thousands of buildings may now need to be fixed. And in many cases, it's the people who own and live in these flats, the leaseholders, who have to pay for these fixes. And the strain of living in these flats and facing unaffordable bills has taken a huge toll on their mental health as well, as we'll go on to hear today. Which brings us to the protest last week where leaseholders were demanding action from the government. Our team went along to speak to the protesters and activists involved in the rally and which journalist Ian Aikman has the story. We are which. It was a sweltering day on Parliament Square, but leaseholders were braving the heat. Many of them were wearing black t-shirts that read hashtag leaseholders together that organisers were handing out beside the stage. Introduce yourself for the listeners. Yeah, so my name is William Martin and I'm a leaseholder of a building in Sheffield and I help run the Endar Cladding Scandal campaign and I'm one of the organisers of today's event. Today's event, is it the biggest event you've done, would you say? It absolutely is. There's never been this many leaseholders, this many disgruntled leaseholders in one square at a time. Um, and yeah, we're, we're hoping for a really big turnout today from these yeah, yeah, and, and how much, How much effort has it taken to put this together? 
a humongous amount of effort. I actually don't think I've had one evening free uh, for the last five months, and I don't think anyone really realises that how much organisation goes into planning, ordering the stage, getting the insurance, sorting the liability out, getting permissions, ordering T-shirts, ordering bottles of water. How many T-shirts do you have? We have 250, and the first 250 people here get a free T-shirt, so, so that's a, a reason. We, yeah. we know they're the, the early birds. Early birds, yeah. yeah. So. And everyone, you alluded to it just then, but everyone all goes in this has a, a full-time job as well. Yep, yep, we're all volunteers, none of us get paid, um, and I've been doing this for the last four years, and yeah, it's pretty exhausting. Will told me he's pleased with what the campaign has achieved so far, but there is still a long way to go. Here he is on stage later, addressing Michael Gove, who had been appointed as the new housing secretary just one day earlier. And so I ask Mr Gove, our new minister for housing, I ask him to hear our cries. I ask him to understand the pain and suffering that we are going through. And I ask him to protect leaseholders and ensure that Grenfell never, ever happens again. Without you guys, nothing will change. We have such good support, cross-party MPs, and it's not, it's not one party or the other, it's about working together for solutions for all. But thank you so much for your endless support, and leaseholders together, we will do this. Can you introduce yourself, please? Yeah, my name is Alex Dickin, and I'm founder of Ipswich Gladiators. What does that mean? It means that we're a campaign group supporting and campaigning to end the building safety crisis in Ipswich. How big is Ipswich Gladiators? So, Ipswich is actually a town, so quite rare for a cladding action group to come from a town, and uh, we represent 19 buildings affected by the cladding crisis. What has it involved from you like, in terms of the amount of work you've had to put into it? Oh, so much work in my free time. As I said earlier, it's not just a campaign group. We support leaseholders affected because it is a financial crisis and a mental health crisis. What are you hoping to achieve today? I'm really... I can't really say that I hope that the government will make a difference but I'm here demanding change, demanding action, because so far it simply hasn't been good enough. Leaseholders had come to London from all over the country to make their voices heard. We've heard from people from Sheffield and Ipswich already, some Manchester gladiators were attending, and there was a coach trip from Birmingham, which is where Vicky is from. Yeah, I bought my flat for 150k in 2009. We went to put it on the market in January 19. We were given three valuations, estimated around 220. So we thought, you know, great, we've done, made a bit of money here. We're really excited and buoyed about the new house that we were going to get for our son with a garden. Um, only to be fi- find a few weeks later that we had a problem with our, our cladding, with missing fire breaks, with flammable balconies and internal fire doors that weren't up to standard, just to name a few of the issues. And we found out um, about a week into lockdown when I looked out into the courtyard to see two guys with a high-vis saying waking watch on their back. And because I'd been researching the scandal, I knew exactly what that meant. And they'd managed to get 
the Waking Watch in place before the circular informing us. So, you know, you can imagine the kind of dread that's going through your mind. We also spoke to Hayley from Leeds, who was the first leaseholder known to have gone bankrupt due to the scandal. I'm here today because I went bankrupt last December as a result of the fire safety and building safety scandal. So I actually went bankrupt before we even got a bill, before um, it was the waking watch invoices, the increased buildings insurance, the increased service charge, because uh, I happened to buy my flat through uh, help to buy affordable housing scheme. That's specifically for people on low income. So what do you do when suddenly everything that your mortgage advisor has cost and looked into things, all those figures are now wrong, everything's more expensive. I didn't really have anywhere to turn. I'm now at my dad's house in Shipley, so he himself is elderly and disabled and he needs to be moving house now to more accessible, like a bungalow. The last thing he needs is his 30-year-old daughter littering up a spare room, so it's put a really big strain on my family. It's, I don't think I'll ever really be the same again. I'll never trust anything or anybody ever again, any contracts. It's just really not the money is one thing, but mentally, um, just lack of trust and lack of anyone doing the right thing has really got to me. Timea bought her London flat through another government scheme, shared ownership. Even though they only own a proportion of their homes, shared owners could still face the full costs of any cladding-related measures. That is correct. Um, shared owners are responsible for 100% of all costs associated with their property. Tamea was delighted when she found out she could buy through shared ownership. It was amazing. I was so relieved. I was so happy because we were able to stay with our village, our friends, um, both him from school and nursery and uh, me with parents and um, other friends that I made. So it was a really happy day. And obviously you wouldn't be here now if, if that was not, that happiness was not sustained over time. So something went wrong. Yes, something went wrong. Um, I have since been told that there is um, unsafe cladding on the building. There are other safety issues such as lack of compartmentation internally, which is of course a worry if there's a fire in a different flat, smoke can spread into our flats, there are no fire barriers around our windows and balcony doors. Um, and currently we still stand to pay for most of it. Deeper Mystery is another shared owner. Can you please introduce yourself for this? Uh, my name is Deeper Mystery and you are an affected leaseholder, is that right? I am. I am I'm a shared owner in a flat, it's a two-bedroom flat in South London, and it's part of a housing association that I cannot get an EWS certificate for to sell. An EWS-1 is a building safety certificate. Banks and building societies often need them before they lend someone a mortgage to buy a flat. The government announced fairly recently that these shouldn't be required for buildings under 18 metres. But we found that lenders could still ask for them anyway. And how long have you been trying to get one now? It's been nearly two years. Um, we have been we have been outgrowing our two-bedroom flat. Um, three children, there's just not a lot of space. Pandemic showed us that we need something bigger. The children crave outdoors. And we just haven't been able to provide it for them, so we wanted to move. When looking into it, realised that we don't have this EWS, and God knows when we'll get it. We also spoke to Sarah, co-founder of Cladag, 
the Leaseholder Disability Action Group. I co-founded Crudag um, just before Christmas when I started to connect with other disabled leaseholders and realised that not only were we dealing with all the financial issues and, um, and, and feeling unsafe, but all these other things like evacuation. Um, for example, if you receive care, you have to make a financial contribution if you've got savings over a certain level. If you, um, if you receive disability benefits, you can't accumulate savings. So where were we expected to find this money when structurally we're prevented from accumulating wealth? So that was one of the, the driving forces. But also um, older people, pensioners, how can you raise this money after you've finished your working life? Where does the money come from? So it's not it's, you know, safety, it's financial, but there are lots of structural reasons why people are disadvantaged. Throughout the day, campaigners stress that this is not a partisan issue. And it isn't. Politicians from across the political spectrum gave speeches, including Labour Mayor of London, Sadiq Khan. I've met leaseholders whose dreams of owning a home came true. Those dreams have turned into nightmares. And former Conservative leader Ian Duncan Smith. And everything to do with that cladding and safety, balconies, wooden bits and pieces, they should not be, have to be paid for by the leaseholders. You want your leases believing that you are secure and safe, and you have found out that you are not. We caught up with the Bishop of St Albans to ask about his involvement in the campaign. When the fire safety bill came through, I led the opposition in terms of putting the amendments down, drawing on all the other parties who did all the work. I mean, they were the, the key people. But because I don't belong to one of the political parties, we could draw together um, a huge coalition of people who are passionate about how we protect those people who've done everything this government wants to do. They've, they've, they've bought their own places in leasehold, but now find there's a problem they could not have conceived of that's having huge penalties for them. This affects the poorest of families who simply don't have the, the money even to pay the bills. It affects some of the richest flats in the country, of people who are prosperous lawyers, but, but cannot afford to go bankrupt when a bill of £200,000 arrives suddenly with a demand to pay it immediately. So this is a terrible problem that we've got to find a way through and the only way we're going to do that is finding the government becoming the insurer of last resort and, and enabling uh, us to find a way through, which is particularly going to involve the developers who built these places in the first place. These protesters are in a terrible situation, but some of them did what they could to lighten the mood, while still drawing attention to the horrors of the crisis. One of them, an anonymous leaseholder known only as Cladding Kermit, has become well known in the community for posting Twitter videos where he voices a Kermit the Frog Muppet satirising the crisis. He was at the protest in disguise to protect his identity, wearing sunglasses and a mask that covered most of his face. But he did have a baseball cap with a Kermit logo on it, some trainers with Kermit logos, and a puppet sticking out of his backpack. Anyone who spoke to him was greeted by his spot-on Kermit impersonation, including me. Can you please introduce yourself for the listeners? Yeah, no problem. Hi, everybody. It's me, Cladding Kermit. And uh, what's your involvement in all this, Kermit? Well, 
I, I am an effective, effective leaseholder over on uh, Sesame Street, and I, I wanted to come here today to show my support for everybody and, and just try and try and make people smile a little bit more. You know? Do you think you have a uh, rainbow connection? Ah, <laughs> very, yeah, I, I like that. That's, Sorry. No, 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 that was fantastic. I, I love it. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, of course, I've, I've got a rainbow connection with everybody, but um, I did do the cladding dejection, which was uh, a number one chart topper, so... Uh, oh, really? Yeah, yeah, if you want to uh, go through my Twitter, you'll uh, you'll find the video. I'll drop in I'll drop in the audio from that song right here uh, in the episode. That would be very exciting for everyone. Oh, amazing. Um, yeah, well, thanks so much for talking to us. No, no problem. Thank you very much. Why are there not many songs about cladding and what's on a building's inside cladding's just one of the problems we're facing hi i'm jennifer nice to meet meet you you. i couldn't help but see you have a dragon i do his name is delwyn okay he's quite sassy Uh, he's got a double-sided sign as have i (laughs) <laughs> right, okay, so you, people can't see it, but there's a little dragon, a little, like, plush dragon, uh, and he says, smite the power, and he says, dragons against flammable flats, and the sign is a sword of Damocles, it says fire and bankruptcy on it, and then on the other side we have 55k, even if we get building safety fund funding. Do you want to expand on any of that? Yeah, sure. Um, sort of Damocles is kind of how I feel. Um, yeah. You don't know whether the fire is going to get your building first, and if it's not the fire, it will definitely be the funding, because where am I going to find 55000 from? Many leaseholders appreciate comic relief like this to get through what is an extremely stressful time. In May, we surveyed over 1,700 leaseholders via social media. Nearly all of them said the cladding crisis had had a negative impact on their well-being. Leaseholders shared heartbreaking stories of sleepless nights, depression and anxiety. It's difficult to be honest, I mean, you have good days and bad days and I get really stressed about it, you know, sometimes I get really depressed about it, it's, there's, no, there's no way of getting away from it at all, you can't, we can't leave the flat, we can't leave it mentally, financially, it's there all the time, every day, every day I wake up it's there, every day I go to sleep it's there. I'm on anti-anxiety medication now just to cope with the day to day. Is that from the that is from this. Have you experienced mental health problems from it as well? Certainly, yeah. Uh, Back in February, I contacted my local GP, and since then I've had a couple of conversations with them in relation to my mental health. And that stems purely from the cladding scandal? Purely from the cladding scandal. I can't can't put too fun upon it. It's a a daily agony. Um, Between us, we've had several nervous breakdowns, and I'm sure more will be in the post if this isn't sorted, because it's torture especially during a pandemic where we are at separate times forced to stay in our homes for up to 23 hours a day and there is building work underway to remediate some fire safety issues we have contractors in our corridors not wearing the relevant PPE which leads to stand-up rows so it's sort of mental torment on top of mental torment Um, I'm (laughs) quietly proud of myself that I'm not crying right now because I am on the inside Before I left the protest, there was one more leaseholder I wanted to speak to. A man who many say might have a solution. He's even been called the saviour of the cladding scandal. His name is Steve Day. If Steve sounds familiar, it might be because you heard him on this podcast before. He's the man who introduced us to the phrase, cladiator. Since then, he's come a long way, 
and he's now one of the leading figures of the campaign. Everyone at the protests wanted to talk to Steve. As we walked across the square to a quieter interview spot together, two protesters approached him to thank him for all his work. He graciously stopped and chatted to them, only to be sidetracked again by a call from the BBC, who interviewed him from over the phone. When we met back up after that interview, he was holding a drink that another leaseholder had bought him to say thank you. So, my name is Stephen Day, and I live in Royal Artillery Keys in South East London. And we last spoke to you about nine months ago. Um, it, wasn't, it wasn't like early days for you. You already knew about the issues for a while. Um, you were facing extremely high bills. Yeah. Um, and since then, a lot has happened. Is that right? Yes. <laughs> Can you talk us through that? Well, so basically we had serious issues with our building on the external walls, so £30 million worth of cladding um, issues. And then on our internal walls, so the, the wall above the uh, front door where the pipes and the wires go in, um, we have £1.7 million worth of damage there because they didn't do their job properly, basically. So first, Steve and his fellow residents tried taking his building's developer to court but they found out that this wouldn't be possible. So, so what did you do? You didn't stop there, did you? No. So uh, I created a Twitter account that I shouldn't have called <laughs> right. Rack Residence. And uh, I thought, well, if no one wants to see all this work that's defective in the courts, we'll show them on Twitter. So, and then I had some help for some fire engineers who quite quite frankly wanted to help us after some media we've done with the BBC and yourselves at which and uh, um, basically we we made it very obvious to everyone that our developer was not fit to build homes because there were gaping holes where uh, the seals for fire stopping should be you know they were using the wrong fixings or you know on fire breaks everyone knows that plastic and fire don't go well together um, they didn't they didn't use metal fixings it was plastic or no fixings at all um, and we made it aware uh, made people aware of that and that's what we did and then in November after about three or four months of campaigning um, we basically got 1.3 million pounds out of them um, but that wasn't enough Steve also got his developer to pay working watch costs and some other costs associated with building safety he thinks the key thing that persuaded them was this a building's external wall has to conform to a safety certificate or a manufacturer's instructions. Steve and his fellow residents asked for this certificate and found that, as far as they could tell, the building did not comply. So his developer paid up. In a statement, the developer of Steve Day's building told us its external wall system did meet building regulations at the time of construction and that it was signed off by an approved inspector. They said they've been clear leaseholders shouldn't have to pay for remediation and they've provided financial support. Steve thinks something similar could be rolled out across the country and is based on an existing law about contaminated land. That's why it's called the Palooza Pays Bill. It's something he's been working on with Deeper Mystery, who we spoke to earlier, and a team of others. So the Palooza Pays Bill team is um, myself and a few other leaseholders working with some experts and top lawyer Daniel Greenberg. And we've put together a piece of legislation that we'd like to pass in Parliament and add as, as an amendment to the Building Safety Bill. What it will do is protect leaseholders from costs for remediation, interim, waking watch costs and anything else involved in this and hopefully provide some form of compensation as well. And 
this is where buildings are found to be defective. But there are, are various pools of getting money to money to cover the cost of remediation. So, you know, where, say, your building isn't found to be defective or have broken any regulations, then there is a levy, there's the industry levy, and then there is always the £5.1 billion that the government has put forward. So what we'd like to do is provide a system which has full redress, and it basically makes the polluter pay. It is, It does what it says on the tin. It gets the person who caused the problem to fix the problem. Writing your own bill as non-politicians might sound quite ambitious, but polluter pays is being taken extremely seriously. Lord Greenhow, a building safety minister, said in Parliament that he's looking very closely at proposals from Steve Day and his team around the polluter pays amendments. Then things escalated further. Steve himself, an ordinary leaseholder, was invited into Parliament to give evidence about polluter pays, along with a solicitor who is also a leaseholder, Alison Hills. And hello everyone, I'm Steve Day. Um, I'm also caught up in the cladding crisis, £30 million pound bill, uh, 418 flats, and uh, we just basically felt we had to fight it, and uh, it's led to where we are today. So thanks for hearing us. In Parliament, Steve and Alison came across as extremely knowledgeable and professional. But Steve, a web developer working on his own startup, never expected to do anything like this. Steve is a religious man, and when a rainbow appeared over his building as he wrote a guest article for Witch about cladding, he took it as a sign. So I, I said, right, okay, <laughs> I might need to be a bit more involved. So I, I said, because um, so I do pray quite a lot, and um, I, I got down and I just prayed on my knees, and I said, do you want me to get more involved? What do you want me to do? Is it just an article of Witch? Or is... And I really felt him say, how much do you want to do? And I, it's foolishly, <laughs> I said, as much as required. He said, yeah, good, I'm glad. <laughs> and then he said, I will open doors for you that you would never believe, but just, just keep pushing and don't be scared. It's Steve Faith that has been guiding him through this entire process. If God wants to work with someone like me, I'm an IT guy, I know nothing about statue, but you wouldn't necessarily have known that when I defended public company liability with a statutory scheme in front of a public bill committee. You'd be very surprised which, what you can be equipped with when you rely on God to help you. And, that, and I think that's really what's been going on. I, I, I mean, when I look back at the video evidence now, I honestly, in my T-shirt here, look at that guy in the suit, and I think, gosh, you <laughs> can't be me. And, um, yeah, you know, I mean, it, it's just... I, I just honestly felt that being directed just slowly to do things and... And, you know, being told that something might happen significantly before it did. He said, you're going to have a good day today. And then Lord Greenhouse did what he did. But I was told I would have a good day before he announced it. He means when he spoke about polluter pace. Do you feel like, <laughs> because of all this, that it is going to end? Like, yes. The work? the work will be finished. I'm not here for a half job, and nor is God. Even if you don't have faith, even if you're turned off by this conversation... Um, to believe this that I believe and let's finish this help us support us write to your MPs and let's get this done Steve believes in God and in what he himself is doing with his team I'm sure it won't be lost on him that church bells were ringing through a lot of that interview what we witnessed at the protest was hundreds of ordinary people like Steve who never thought they'd be plunged into the situation they're in today 
They came to urge the government to help, but they also came to support each other, to meet each other in person for the first time. Many of them have become friends, have bonded through this terrible crisis. Whether or not they believe God is on their side, they have each other, and they're not going anywhere until all of this is fixed. Thank you so much to Ian for putting that together. And I'm now joined by Ian and also Witch Conversation editor and leaseholder, George Martin. Now, Ian, can we start with uh, one of the big issues leaseholders face with cladding problems still unresolved, which is that moving house isn't an option. Now, this is because banks won't lend on flats with potential safety issues. And in this position, with your hands tied, you might see selling to a cash buyer as your way out. But Ian, from what we've seen, this could mean selling up for just a fraction of the price you paid, couldn't it? That's absolutely right, Lucia. We've heard from leaseholders who have tried selling their flats to cash buyers at 50 or 60 grand losses. Uh, But even then, it's Mm. still difficult and there's still a lot of dangers around doing it. You know, you need to think about who it is you're selling to. We've heard reports of so-called property sharks approaching leaseholders, essentially saying, I'll take that unsafe flat off your hands. They're sometimes doing it over Facebook. Um, And experts have told us that this is very suspicious behavior. Uh, They could be illegitimate. Mm -hmm. They might not actually have the money to buy. uh, And they might lower their offer at the last minute, which is something we've also seen happening. So I think it's a case of just being extremely careful if you are planning to go down this route. Um, But sadly, many leaseholders are losing so much money, so much uh, sleep week by week. But they don't feel that they have much of a choice other than to explore this kind of potentially risky selling just to put an end to it all. Ian, have you seen any examples where selling to a cash buyer has been a viable option, say, if your property is, a, is in a really sought after area? I mean, you know, viable, it, you know, it's quite a strong, strong word. I mean, the most of the experts we've spoken to or the experts we've asked about this have said that even though it might be extremely difficult and you know they appreciate how horrible it is probably waiting for a solution is the better option financially there's just so many risks involved and you have to take such a huge loss you know where do you live after that if you've sold it at such a such a a lost you know the negative equity on on your mortgage potentially could be difficult um in terms of the area that you're in we spoke to some estate agents about this and they've just said that there's a huge problem with with valuing properties uh that have building safety issues known building safety issues uh just because you know how much is that worth like the the potential remediation costs of tens of or even hundreds of thousands of pounds that the new owner will potentially be facing you know how do you sell a, a flat like that the, the answer in many cases for many estate agents is, is they won't um and you know the answer for for leaseholders is that it, it's 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 unlikely to be a a happy uh solution it's unlikely to be a neat solution to it um but as i said some have sold at a loss before because they do just want want it to end Um, but if you are going to do it it's something to be very very careful uh, as you approach it. 
And there was also quite a big announcement on this last month that seems to have caused some confusion for leaseholders wanting to sell. So the government announced that EWS1 forms, which are the fire inspections buildings need to pass for banks to offer a mortgage, these are now no longer needed for buildings under 18 metres high. So George, this means that banks can now technically lend on flats in smaller buildings. But has this actually helped leaseholders so far? Uh- well, Lucia, unfortunately, the short answer w- would be no. I mean, our understanding is it's had little to no impact on uh, buildings under 18 metres at all. Um, while in theory, it does mean banks can lend on buildings under 18 metres, um, we've still got a situation where they won't. Um, the government tried something very similar last November, where it tried to remove thousands of buildings from the scope of EWS1. Um, But unfortunately, the cat is already out of the bag now on the scale of the defects. Um, My building itself um, that I live in um, is another example of this. Someone tried to trigger the sale process a couple of weeks ago, um, probably not fully appraised of all the facts. um, And the bank asked for an EWS1 form and the building's under 18 metres. So it's clear that the banks haven't changed their mind on this. Um, And further to that, The banks also know that when the Fire Safety Act comes into force um, later this year, I believe, then that will trigger something called PASS 9980, uh, which is rumoured to going to be replaced in the EWS1 process completely, which will bring external wall checks into the scope um, of lending and selling anyway. So at some point in the future, you will have to get your external walls checked. Um, Removing the requirement for the EWS1 form now isn't going to convince the banks and it's certainly not going to change the law that's set to, to come into force later on. So we've already heard what some of the leaseholders and activists were hoping to achieve from the protest, namely wanting more from the government. And this will, of course, fall on the housing department, which is now being led by Michael Gove. Ian, we've talked about the polluter pays bill. Do you think this will get adopted by the government? And have you got any other thoughts about what future government action we'll see? So as we heard earlier, things are looking good for polluter pays, you know, maybe better than than you'd expect for for something like this. Mm. Um, so there's a chance it could be added uh, or elements of it to the building safety bill uh, as an amendment, but we definitely can't be taking that for granted. Um, it was in the newspapers over the weekend, actually, that, that Boris Johnson has told Michael Gove to fix the cladding scandal. Um, so, you know, there might well be some fixing going on as we speak. Um, sadly, the government did not reply to our requests for comment this time. Uh, But when they've spoken to us before, they tend to point to what they've done already. So there's a building safety fund uh, to remove cladding from buildings over 18 metres. And there's a waking watch removal fund, which pays for new fire alarms. But there are thousands of leaseholders who don't qualify for this funding. Uh, The government has also told us previously that leaseholders should not have to pay to make buildings safe. Uh, But in terms of what's coming next, we do know about a potential uh, financing scheme for leaseholders in buildings under 18 metres. These are the buildings that are not eligible for the Building Safety Fund. Um, And the scheme's been announced. um, Not much detail is is out yet, but it's been announced that it will charge leaseholders £50 a month for building remediation uh, in these buildings if they qualify. Now, you know, leaseholders are absolutely not happy with this. Uh, They essentially call it a forced loan. And frankly, since the government said that leaseholders shouldn't have to pay anything, you can't blame them for for being disappointed with that. Um, I do think that actually fixing this crisis, maybe by adopting polluter pays, would be a great way for Michael Gove to make a mark in this new role. So 
there's a chance it might happen. But at the moment, we can't say for sure that it will, uh, at least not yet. Well, I think it's fair to say that homeowners shouldn't be left to suffer financially and mentally here. And just before we get onto the mental impact, it can seem like there isn't much leaseholders can do while they wait for bills and updates. But what's your advice for people to, say, start campaigning or just to stay on top of what's going on in your building? And could it be worth digging a little deeper yourself trying to find building plans and so on, like we heard from Steve Day earlier? I would say absolutely stay on top of what's going on in your building. Um, And the ferocity with which you should campaign should depend on where your building is at now um, with its situation. So in terms of finding building plans, I think many people will have had their EWS1 inspections done already. Some may still be waiting. Um, But it is absolutely imperative that you find out as much about your building as you can in advance or or even after the inspection has been done, because you need to know how your building was constructed originally. Did it comply with the regulations that were in force at the time of its construction? If the design complied, then why was what was built not compliant? Finding information out like that could give you access to recourse in the future. Um, It could enable you to go to the developer um, to ask them to prove what they've done. Um, And it also helps your understanding of the situation generally as well. When it comes to selling in the future, you need to know as much as you can about your building, where you live. We've already mentioned that when the Fire Safety Act does come into force, um, then it will make external wall checks mandatory anyway. So being armed with this information going into the future can't hurt. Um, The more you know about this, the more it's going to help you get out of this situation in the future. And I don't think you can really separate the mental toll of all this on leaseholders from the financial one. And we, of course, heard about this from protesters early on. Ian, I know you've also done a lot of research into this. As I mentioned earlier in the in the story, we heard from over 1,700 leaseholders uh, in, in our survey and just reading through their comments, you know, so many of them were, you know, so upsetting to read. Uh, people really are... Uh, at the end of their tether here, they're, you know, they're depressed, you know, they're, they're anxious. A lot of people uh, are suffering from mental health problems for the first time. You know, and it's all purely because of this. Um, I honestly, you know, I just can't imagine what it must be like to go through it. George, I don't know if you uh, w- would be comfortable to share your experience uh, as a leaseholder. Ian, I-, I work on this situation every single day for my building. Um, I work deep into the evenings. Um, I'm working weekends on this. The first thing I do when we stop recording here is uh, it's going to be ringing the contractor who's just left me a voicemail um, about how we can get remediation moving forward. Once I've done that, I need to ring the fire engineer. Um, I need to discuss with him. He's visiting on Monday again. Um, I need to organise the contractor and the fire engineer to meet up. I need to make sure that all the fire safety um, aspects of our building are reviewed by him on Monday. Um, bringing all this together uh, the stress this is something I never imagined that I'd be dealing with um, and we're now getting to the remediation point I'm effectively project managing a remediation project of this scale on a building of this size uh, it takes its toll um, I'm not going out and doing things in the evening because I'm having to work on this it's interrupting my plans during the day when I am able to get out I'm having to take calls I'm constantly under stress trying to bring this all together Um, We've had to have numerous uh, negotiations with the developer, a huge national corporation um, that I've attempted to lead on. I think it's 
not something you can hand over to the managing agents because they've got no personal interest in the building. It's not something they've really got an incentive to sort out. Um, residents across multiple buildings around the country have had to take matters into their own hands. Um, I think we discussed last time that the, the word is, is cladmin. Um, it, it's all-consuming, um, and I think you, people won't comprehend or fully understand how much work goes into it until they've experienced it. And I would say the same is true of the leasehold system in general. Um, when you buy a property, you don't expect this level of stress to come with it. And it's only something that you can really truly understand once you've lived it. Um, it's an ongoing nightmare. I cannot wait to get out of this situation. I will never go near a leasehold property again. And I think I'll be a lot better mentally in a much better place when I've got this off my plate. Thanks for sharing that with us, George. And we should say, if you're struggling with your mental health and need to talk, please, please do turn to the charities that are out there to help. And for free support, you can head to mind.org.uk or samaritans.org. Thank you so much again to Ian and George. And thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Witch Money Podcast. If you liked it, feel free to leave a review and a five-star review would be wonderful if you think we deserve it. You can also find us on social media at Witch Money. And for more news and advice, visit witch.co.uk forward slash money. This episode of the Witch Money Podcast was recorded and edited by Rob Lilly, produced by Ian Aikman with additional support from Kim Carver and George Martin. And some of the interviews you heard were conducted and recorded by Harry Kind and Josh Reeves. Music.